Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Hey, Kenny Florian. Oh my God! Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Ah, it is great to be back with you. As always, Monday, November 26th, 2018. At least that is the day here in the States. This is episode 181 of the Anik and Florian Podcast. I uh, hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving weekend. I shouldn't say everybody, but for, for all of you for whom that applies, that does apply to Kenflow, kid. And I know you stayed out west. How, how you feeling? I'm feeling good. I ate like such crap. Um, I ate way oh. too much, uh, ridiculous amount of sugar in my body. Um, huh. I'm still trying to get it out. I got some dieting to do, dude. Some yeah. serious exercising and dieting yeah. ahead. Yeah. Well, I hear Brazilian jiu-jitsu is a pretty good workout. That may Rocky BJJ <laughs> yes. if you want to try to sweat some of that shit out. Uh yeah, I mean, I didn't eat as much as I normally do Thanksgiving Day, but that Friday, bro, I mean, I put on a clinic, right? <laughs> I mean, I think we might we might have double chin this week if we didn't last week. So uh, so my brother-in-law, we went to Connecticut. It was absolutely yep. freezing. I woke up to go to Dunkin' Donuts on Friday morning to, to begin the food coma early, and uh, it was nine degrees, I think, you know? Uh, so the Florida blood uh, didn't hold up too well. <laughs> 
Fl- flying with three kids, absolutely no picnic. Would not recommend it. Um, already getting ahead of it with my wife that next year, you know, daddy's staying home. We got to figure something out, man. <laughs> you know, and, and, and it wasn't even too bad for us. The thing is just you're always just one moment away from all hell breaking sure. loose. And it's a very uneasy feeling, you know. Yeah. You, know you fly from, from L.A. to Boston <laughs> and something happens with your baby and she's inconsolable. And, you know, everybody's looking at the parents, you know. Um, yeah. guy, the old guy in front of my wife was like, I give up. He says before the flight, my kid had barely done anything. You know, he's like, I give up, you know, yeah. I want to say, you, listen, you ever had a kid slap, yeah, him. you know, slap you know? him. Oh, uh, so, so I was in Connecticut. So my brother-in-law has this projector projection screen TV. It's like 150 inches on the wall. So a great way to watch football. So I want to take a picture of it. And he's like, oh, well, why don't you have your daughter go stand next to the TV to have some sort of reference, you know? And so she goes and stands next to this 150-inch TV. I take a picture. I put it on Instagram. Next thing you know, everyone's banging on me for, you know, a humble brag about my TV. Like, it's not even my TV. (laughs) You know, my mom's texting me like, hey, that doesn't look humble. Like, you got to respond to these people. I'm like, I got to respond to these people. I'm in a food coma. I'm not sober. You know, I got to respond to these people. Um, but I just want to say, if That's you're a listener funny. who thinks I would ever have a 150-inch television, <laughs> Ken Flo, you know, I would never. Um, at least 100-inch, so, yeah. At least 100-inch. I got yeah. a 65 on the wall downstairs, if you're really curious. And it was probably more expensive than the 150-inch projector <laughs> thing, right? You know, so... Um, <laughs> So, uh, all right. So, did you did you wake up for this combat sports and coffee on UFC Fight Pass for Francis Ngannou and Curtis Blades? You watched it after the fact. I did not. I watched it definitely after the fact. I watched it the evening, uh, and of course, I saw the spoiler. So that's my fault for waiting that long. But um, yeah, I did watch it at night. Um, and some good fights. Some exciting yeah, really fights. Fight. Yeah. Yeah. The spoiler thing is tough, though, especially when it's that early. And I was trying to avoid spoilers. I wasn't on social media. I just didn't realize the main card was 6.30 a.m. Eastern. So I was at the Mm -hmm. airport. I was at JFK, and I went to check where they'd be at, thinking I might be able to watch the main event live. Yeah. And the event was over, and I saw the result, and that was unfortunate. It was unfortunate for Curtis Blades. It was not for Francis Ngannou. You know, he walks out to All Eyes on Me, Tupac Shakur. All eyes were on him, I think, despite the fact that Curtis Blades was the guy who came in with the momentum. And yeah. and Francis Ngannou gets it done in 45 seconds, Ken Flo. Your thoughts? Uh, again, uh, my consistency on these main events are just unbelievable. Well, uh, yeah, no, it, it was funny. But, no, listen, it, this was a great surprise because, um, you know, we talked about it. I was not sure if Francis Ngannou was going to be the same guy again and that he was going to be able to get his confidence back and, and let those hands go. Um, after that Derek Lewis fight, I, I kind of uh, had a lot of doubts about him, but um, I think he was letting his hands fly. He landed that shot very early on. Um, he was looking to be just out of range. So it was a good sign when he was just kind of trying to get in the pocket and he was trying to establish his range very early on. Um, and for Curtis Blades, I, I mean, he really just couldn't get a whole lot going. It was an early uh, shot that took him out. I, I actually liked the stoppage. I know Curtis was kind of complaining about it, but he was eating yeah. some heavy shots. Um, and, yeah, he just wasn't able to recover. Yeah, despite the immediate protest, Kenny, he didn't seem to be intelligently defending himself. Yeah. I could talk both sides of it, but largely sure. I thought it was good work from, from Mark Goddard. I thought it was a good tweet from Jordan Breen about the stoppage. Uh, Jesus, and got a white blades out in 25 seconds. He did it so fast it actually fucked ref Mark Goddard up. Goddard's a fantastic official, but committed the cardinal sin of touching the attacking 
fighter yep. and jumping back out trying to give Blade second life. What a blasting. But you remember, I, I always reference the Pat Barry Czech Congo when Dan Mergliata touches Pat Barry, right? And this wasn't that type of touch, right? Yep. He barely grazed the fighter, and maybe he didn't have the most opportune angle and, and uh, we know Curtis Blades is going to shoot whether it's a desperation shot or otherwise but I thought largely the stoppage was okay as far as Ngannou I, you know it's hard to read too much into this result for me right on paper he improves to 12 and 3 he still has never been finished um, but after fighting 40 minutes Kenny his last two fights going the distance and a couple of losses he, he, he wipes him out here in 45 seconds I mean does what does this tell you about the extent to which Ngannou is back does it tell you anything about the Derek Lewis fight and what the hell that was? Like, tell me something because I don't, you know, want to sit here and say I have no answers, but I'm not yeah. willing to just anoint Francis Ngannou based upon one connection here. And I think that's accurate. Now, listen, out of that 40 minutes, we could probably deduct 15 minutes of that fight against Derek Lewis. Really, there wasn't a whole lot of fighting that not went on. Fighting. But no, for sure. Uh, listen, I, I don't think he was trying to throw his hands at all. He seemed very tentative. He seemed very afraid of, of letting those hands go. Um, in this fight, at the very least, it seems like that fear is gone. Um, you know, his willingness to want to trade, I think, is back. Uh, but you're right. Uh, um, we never really saw him have to defend if he got taken down. Uh, you know, what was his uh, defense like to get back to his feet? What was his defense like if he was kind of pinned on the mat with uh, Curtis Blades on top of him and half guard or guard? Um, we didn't get to uh, get any answers to those questions. Um, but uh, as far as on the feet, he did seem pretty confident. He was letting the hands go. That's a good sign. But I think you're right. Anytime you see these quick finishes, which is why I think it was so hard to really look at uh, Ngannou and, and call that fight accurately against Stipe Miocic because he just didn't have a whole lot of octagon time. He was knocking everybody out. We really didn't right. know how right. good he really was. And right. um, I don't think we're any closer to that answer either. So Ngannou is one of those guys who's just really hard to predict on what he's going going to do but if he can sort of uh, parlay some development and improvement in all phases with the with the physical gifts I still think as I thought going into the Stipe fight as many did when he was favored to become the UFC heavyweight champion I, I still think he can be the UFC heavyweight champ I mean I know Montel Jackson UFC bantamweight has bigger hands than Ngannou but dude I mean do you see like what's the glove size you know mm. when he kicks your lower half feels like he kicks as hard as anybody in this division even yeah. if the technique isn't perfect you know right. so I'm still excited about him and certainly when you look at the heavyweight division big picture you do have young up-and-coming guys tied to Ivasa who we'll get to later you know this is a healthy result for the heavyweight division right even if Curtis Blades was tracking to be the greatest wrestler on paper in terms of takedowns in UFC heavyweight history this is a big result I think for the UFC heavyweight division and Ngannou very much gave them something to work with here with this type of 45 second knockout that sort of gets him back to to what got him on that fast track. And, jo and John, I, I hope that they still see him as a project, um, both his coaches right. and the UFC, because I, I still think there is a lot uh, of room for improvement, uh, especially when it comes to the wrestling and, and the ground game. Um, and if he gets that in order and gets more technical on the feet, uh, this is a guy who could potentially be a heavyweight champion. So um, he has some work to do, but let him develop. Uh, get that training in. Get those right fights uh, to, to move him along. I wonder how Daniel Cormier feels about Francis Ngannou and whether that was the type of opponent that he would have 
stepped up and faced in a similar circumstance to the Derek Lewis fight, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel like Ngannou maybe is scarier for Cormier, but he still feels like he could take him down and submit him the way he did Derek Lewis. I don't know. Um, yeah. Interesting conversation nonetheless. As far as spinning it forward for Ngano, and then we will get to Curtis Blades. So he called out Junior Dos Santos. Obviously, the calendar makes sense because he fights in a main event here in a week against Tai mm-hmm. Tuivasa. Also called out Alexander Volkov. Uh, I feel like he sort of grabbed that out of th- thin air a little bit, but you can understand rankings-wise why he would have been on his radar. And then he called for the rematch against Stipe, which I like, right? I like the fact that he wants to sort of prove that those 25 minutes were the worst possible reflection of himself. What do you think they do with Ngana? You said that you'd like them to proceed cautiously with him. Um, what do you think? The winner of, of Tui Vasa, Junior Dos Santos, who, who might be next for Francis Ngana in your mind? Well, listen, I, I like the fact that he's calling out Stipe. I, I don't think that's the fight for him um, for his next fight. Listen, can he knock out Stipe Miocic? Of course. He has the power. He has the speed. Um, and the size to get it done against anybody in that division, but I would like to see him develop. I, I think a fight against Alexander Volkov kind of makes sense. Volkov is coming off a loss, and Ganu coming off a win. Um, but uh, you know, may, maybe the winner of Junior DeSantos and, and uh, Tuivasa. Uh, I think that that's one that uh, probably makes a little bit more sense. Um, and I think he should be matched up against other guys that are uh, good on the feet, who can maybe threaten with some takedowns. That way, he can develop that aspect of his game. But I, I would slow the roll a little bit. Um, yeah. I, I would take I would take its time. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. And I will say too, in, in working for the UFC, and we all get to know these athletes, their ups, their downs, their egos, and everything else. I can't help but feel good for Francis Ngannou, given where he was, how quickly his ascent was, how seemingly quick the the demise followed, and now the two fight losing streaks, a thing of the past, and he's got a forty five second knockout against a guy on paper who had. The best winning streak in the division. So I, yeah. I feel good for Francis Ngannou. Uh, and of course, there's always a loser in the equation. That is Curtis Blades. And what's interesting is that this was the fight, the one he wanted to get back. His only professional loss, obviously, it came in his UFC debut. And other than a title fight, this was the fight that really appealed to Curtis Blades. And Ken Flo, he, he failed on his first takedown attempt 19 seconds in. And the end of the fight for him came shortly thereafter. I guess is back to the drawing board for... Uh, for your boy Curtis Razor Blades. Yeah, back to the drawing board indeed. And, you know, what's funny is you look at the contrast of what these guys are looking at now after this fight. Ngannou, I mean, I don't think the UFC would have cut Ngannou if he lost his third fight in a row, but, man, they would be on two different, very different paths if Ngannou lost that one. Obviously, now he won. He won impressively. He is back on track. Uh, And for Curtis Blades, who was coming in with some excellent momentum, losing this fight uh, in a rematch um, against Ngannou, a, a guy that he probably matched up pretty well against, wasn't able to hit that takedown initially, uh, got rocked, ate some big shots. This is a tough loss for him um, because it is a rematch loss. Uh, this is a guy that he's lost to twice now, right. um, and Blades was having a lot of momentum. He was calling for that title shot. He believed that he could be a champion in that division. Now he still might be able to, um, but not a great result for him. Um, it's going to be interesting to see who he picks moving forward now. He might fight face a guy like a Volkov. That that could be an interesting fight, and that's yep. not an easy one either. So yeah. uh, this sport is just absolutely brutal, man. 
You know, sometimes Tough. I overstate these losses as setbacks, but when you look at, at career trajectory and, and you sort of set it up in terms of these guys could have been going in completely different directions. But, man, what a win does for Ngannou and what a loss does to Curtis Blades, he's 27, right? So you got to think he's got at least a run or two left in him. Yes. Um, but this delays things, you know, 18 to 24 months. It really does, you know, and it, it puts him at a position where maybe when he's 29, 30 years old, he gets back into position. Uh, so I feel for Curtis Blades because if there were some different circumstances, right, had Stipe won, had Brock Lesnar not come back for the Cormier fight potentially, right, Curtis Blades could have already realized a UFC title fight. And and now that's not going to happen for a couple years. And maybe he'll be better off for it, right? I mean, I think yeah. this loss gives him um, maybe more to chew on than the previous Ngannou loss. And I know Curtis Blades, as hard a worker as anybody in the in the room, will be back in a good way. But uh you know, one man's pleasure is another man's pain, and, and this got to be a tough Monday morning to wake up if you are Curtis Razor Blades. Uh, also on the card, a big win for Alistair Overeem as he sends Sergey Pavlovich out a loser in his UFC debut. Fight lasted four minutes and 21 seconds, and I think the nature of this win is probably what's most impressive, and I got to think pretty cool for Overeem given that his face was pounded through the canvas by, uh, by Curtis Razor Blades <laughs> to get a win by ground strikes here. Uh, Overeem throwing it back a little bit over the weekend, kid. Yeah, he also looked a lot better to me. Uh, mentally, physically, I, I think that was the best shape that I've seen Alistair Overeem uh, in a long time. Um, he seemed like he had uh, a little extra pep in his step. He was moving well. And, and he's this guy who just keeps lingering in the UFC heavyweight division. Um, and it, it's amazing what he's done in his combat sports uh, career. Hasn't uh, been able to really get it, get it done uh, in the UFC as far as getting the belt. But um, he's always going to be there right around the top. He'll lose one, he'll, he'll, he'll win one, he'll win a couple, then he'll lose one. Um, but the fact that uh, you know he won and, and won in the fashion that he did against a dangerous Russian fighter, uh, I think is a good sign. Um, you know, I wasn't sure what kind of overeem we were going to see. Um, he's been extremely inconsistent. Um, I, I went the way of the Russian. I was very wrong. Uh, and it's good. Overeem has switched things up with, with his training a little bit, and, and he looked good. It seemed like he's got a nice fit there. And Pavlovich did land a big right hand early. Always yeah. banging on yourself for these picks, Ken Flo. Yeah. Um, I wonder what type of fighter Ray Longo would have been if he would have been like a ground and pound guy. <laughs> Sorry to keep you on hold, Ray. Let's get to the, uh, to the Ray Longo minute. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. So our fine producer, Ben Wasorek, sends me a text message when we have Ray Longo on the line, and I was so impassioned in our conversation that I failed to check my phone. Y'all, the All-American is here. <laughs> What's going on? Look, look have you guys ever heard of the All-American burger? Chris, it's congratulations the on the pregnancy. You look great. That's awesome. <laughs> I appreciate it. Is it a boy guy. or a girl? Wait, hold on a second. Wait a minute. Hold on a second. Twins? What is it? I think it's a boy. Oh. <laughs> really sure. Hold on a second. See the screen? Look at the screen. Look! It's a little baby! <laughs> Oh. I don't want to waste a Longo minute. Go on, Kenny. Stop. <laughs> well, I, Stop, Kenny. Switch seats. Can, uh, okay, can we get Chris Wilder? Dr. Longo. Dr. Longo in the office. You didn't know I was a gynecologist? <laughs> You're an amateur. Everyone's an amateur gynecologist. I think. I yeah, say, yeah, actually, yeah. I'm still a, actually, I'm still a gynecologist. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Kenny. Hello. <laughs> Oh, my God. Is this the way we're starting out? Yeah, no, this is good. I just would like to let the listeners know, for those that don't get video, that Longo was just, what, 
giving an ultrasound to yes, Chris Weidman's the, post-Thanksgiving in, stomach? Is that what just happened? Yes, in the uh, medical field, uh, John, that's called <laughs> an ultrasound, yes. So uh, so what was the the extent of your your competing in combat, you know, I mean, in terms of your own boxing? I mean, when did you first uh, put on a pair of boxing gloves, hit a bag? I mean, what was what was the path for you in sort of getting into this boxing MMA world? Uh, man, I was like 13, started taking martial arts back in a time when, you know, there wasn't really much going on. And uh, that was it. Always was, uh, you know, boxing in the neighborhood, that type of shit. But that was like a normal thing to do back then in the uh, early 70s, I guess. But, yeah, I think I started training in 73 uh, in a kung fu system. No, I always liked the Chinese martial arts. And then uh, in the 80s, I got into the Jeet Kune Do stuff. And, you know, I gravitated more towards like uh, Richard Bustillo was big on the boxing and kickboxing. So, I mean, but I loved the Kali too. I mean, I did everything, but uh, I, I found that that's why I, I liked uh, going that route. And uh, that was it. So where were you for, for UFC 1 in 1993? Do you, do you remember watching that live or was it something you saw after the fact? No, no, I remember watching it live. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure I was in my living room. <laughs> But uh, with a couple of guys. And, yeah, everything was new back then. Uh, you got to remember, I think I started doing jujitsu in when, – when was the first UFC? November of 1993. Yeah, so I'm going to say in nine, late 92, early 93, I dislocated my show. I was doing jujitsu. That's where I met Matt Sarah, really, for the second time. But that's where we really became close. We were doing right. jiu-jitsu at Oishi Dojo in Manhattan with Craig Kukak. Yeah. He was one of the uh, first black belts for uh, Horry and Gracie. And he moved to New York. And, uh, yeah, there was nobody there. Actually, nobody there. I, he was actually asking me, how do you make money as a martial arts instructor? And I was like, uh, you know, I already had a school. I already had a couple of kickboxing champs. So I would actually take my students there just to get some people in the room there was really nobody wow. and then i uh i'm gonna say i'm probably screwing this up i dislocated my shoulder in some crazy sparring uh in the city so i was out in between that time the ufc hits and when i go back to jujitsu it went from like six people to two you know like the nine o'clock class had 30 and then wow. the other class had 30 so yeah so we uh yeah, so that's how it really started with that. So I was already doing jujitsu at the time, and now obviously teaching. And again, I had a couple of kick, uh, one kickboxing champ. Uh, I actually even had some, uh, you know, collie champs in some of the local tournaments. But um, yeah, so I met Matt, and I, I'm, I'm assuming I watched the first one with him, believe it or not. But I'd have to really think wow. about that. Wow. But by the time we got back, by the time I got back, and I was rehabbed from my shoulder. I got to tell you, that class went from five people to 60 people. And from there, wow. it just kept growing and growing and growing. And we were all trying to figure stuff out. And, you know, I had a funny conversation with Mike Pyle like a couple of years ago where, you know, because he had come to my school with Rodrigo Gracie way before that, I think. And, um, you know, it was like you would go from seminar to seminar. Kenny, you can appreciate this. Mm. Uh, and you just you get one or two moves, man. You were like the king, you know. But they kept stringing <laughs> you along, and yeah. it was really right at the beginning. It was a great period of time, and I'm going to say for probably a couple of months, I was a jujitsu superstar, you know, until everybody started yeah. catching on. Like, you know, <laughs> at that time, Kenny, you had a couple of moves, 
they worked on everybody. Yes. There's nobody knew what the hell was going on. They were like on. superpowers back then. And Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was, was like then, superpowers, you know? yeah. And then, you know, a month later, you didn't have those powers anymore. You had to get another move. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, it was kind of like that. But it was great being around Sarah because he really put the time in. And he was just – he would just – beat the crap out of everybody in that class. That yeah. guy was an absolute phenom back then. And uh, and that was it, you know. I don't know if that did answers you, your did, question. Did, but, yeah, yeah, no, so it I, did. I, did you yeah. play other sports growing up? Or once you found martial arts at 13, were, were the rest history? How'd that all go down? I'm going to say playing baseball uh, up until that point. And then up that right. way, yeah, once I hit martial arts, man, it was uh, that was it. That's all I right. gave a shit about, you know. Yeah. So uh, in terms of like your – and we're going to get to Aya Quinta here in a moment and anything else you got going on. But in terms of your best moment as a coach, I mean I, I think most if they had to answer that question for you, they would say Weidman's first win over Anderson Silva. But maybe it was a, a ring of combat championship in which you knew you had a guy on the path to future greatness. Um, what's, what's the best moment for you in, in, a, in a mixed martial arts cage or setting in your career? Man, I tell you, man, I, you know, look, I think I've been fortunate enough. I've really had so many great moments. I, I wouldn't even want to think to pick. I, You know, I'm just happy that when the guys win today, I still have the same passion about that that I did from the first time. So I think when that disappears, I'll probably disappear. But, you know, when anybody – I mean, you know, the stakes are so high now. When anybody gets a win, it's a big win right now. It really is. You know, these guys are all fighting the top of their division uh, most of the guys, and it's good seeing some of the other guys coming up, but it, they're all really good moments. I don't have one particular moment, and honestly, there's never any time to even think about it, because once That's one of those true. big moments is up, you move right on to the next moment, the next week. I mean, things are just booking, you know, and I don't have time to, you know, really, uh, you know, dwell on some of the losses. You just pick yourself up and you just keep trying to do a better job and move on. So it's, it, to me, it's just, it's, it's been a great run and I, I, I love it. Ray, what do you think is the biggest change since the first time you cornered in the UFC to today? Uh, I just think the preparation for the fights for me had to cut weight. I mean, I remember going there with Matt and even being there that week. And then I remember, I think Gil Castillo, remember Gil Castillo? Yeah. I think, you know, he, he helped us out with a weight cut once we were lost. You know what I mean? No, everybody huh. was, was, you know, it was like an arms race. Everybody was trying to, you know, do a new way of training or, you know, do something different. So, like, again, that was a good period of time. And I think, Kenny, I think you helped us out with uh, the water loading one time. Yes. I think you spoke to somebody. And, yep. like, at that time, that stuff was, was gold, man. And now it's uh, – I think that's the biggest change is that the nutrition and the weight cutting is really down to a science now. And, uh, you know, and obviously, you know, the attributes of everybody getting better and, uh, you know, you have to be squared away in all departments. But 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 I think that part is really, really gotten scientifically way better than, you know, there was a lot. You know, you bring in a wrestling guy. Everybody had their own way of doing it. It was still crazy. It was still on the treadmill with a rubber suit or doing something that, you know, I don't know. So I'm, I'm going with the nutrition. I think that's been a big deal. What's wrong with the rubber soup, bro? <laughs> now, there's nothing wrong with it, but I got to tell you, man, there's a wrong way and a right way to cut weight in that for yeah. years. You know, like I would get a boxing guy and it would be totally different than what a wrestling right. guy was doing. Right. It was just, yeah. you know, there was no um, consistency, I don't think. And now everybody's really became really scientific about it to where if you really follow what these guys are saying, you'll have a, a pretty healthy weight cut 
you know, given all the other factors, uh, as healthy I'm, as it I'm, could be. I'm, I'm running in black glad trash bags down here in South Florida outside right before I go on television. That's how I cut weight. <laughs> yeah. So wow. I'm old school, Rick. Um, <laughs> all right, so – Ally Quinta is 19 days out from a headlining spot against Kevin Lee. I, I lose my appetite when I start to talk about this fight because I'm so excited for this headliner. A nice way for us to us to usher out Fox Sports on December 15th. From your standpoint, um, you're in a good mood today, so I can already read into that a little bit. A lot of the hay is in the barn. How is Raging Al 19 days out from uh, this main event in Milwaukee? I was with him last night. He had a great night. He had a great weekend. Uh, looking good. It's going to be a great fight, man. It really is because I think uh, I think you're going to see the best Kevin Lee against the best Ally Quinter. I think that's all you could ask for, and I think these guys are going to bring it. And uh, Al's very psyched. For me, again, it's just making it's just making sure I get the healthiest Quinter in there on the 15th, and it'll be a great night. All right, last thing, Francis Ngannou, Curtis Blades. Uh, you lost $25, okay? So you uh, you had a chance to win 100 You took the favorite. It did not work out for you. Um, so uh, did you see the fight? Did you wake up early for it? And any thoughts on Francis Ngannou on the way up? Uh, I didn't see the fight. I saw a clip of it, and it uh... – Man, power to him. I really didn't think he was winning that fight. Yeah. I'm yeah. Not, I, I did not think he was going to win. I like Curtis Blades. I think he's an up-and-comer. And, and uh, I think power to Ngano for turning that around, you know, so. See, uh, everyone was giving me a hard time for getting another pick wrong. Ray did the same thing, guys, okay? Yep, We're in yep. this together. Oh, and I'll well, tell you, and I really, really believed that Blades was winning that fight. Yep. Like, I really thought it wasn't even going to be that hard of a fight, but. Like power to Ngano, man, dude. Yep. He's a big dude, and I don't know. I mean, was there anything with that? I mean, I, and again, I didn't see the fight, but I saw a clip. I, I looked like it might have got stopped early. I don't know. It looked like the guy was coherent, but he was under attack. But uh, I don't know if, if he weathers that storm. Maybe it's different, but you know, it's what? almost like if a TV producer tells me to make an argument on one side or the other, I could probably argue it was a touch premature and there was a little bit of referee error, but by and large, Kenny and I thought Goddard did a good job and, and Blades wasn't necessarily intelligent in the way he was trying to defend himself. So Exactly. Uh, All right. Yeah, no, I mean, I really saw like a really crappy clip. I didn't see any of the fights. Yeah, yeah. You got to get that KenFlow VIP UFC Fight Pass membership, yeah, and then you can watch it anytime you want, Ray. Okay, you know what? I'm gonna see if I can uh, see what it would take to get to get you that VIP. You don't have that VIP treatment. Weidman's got it. Weidman? Does he have that treatment? That I would think so. Bitch. I would think he does. Uh, all right, my man. They, they, um, they favor pregnant people. They always, everybody always has. Uh, they're always partial to somebody who's pregnant. So. Uh, by the way, we are going to have Longo make picks head-to-head -head against Kenny Florian for the final pay-per-view of the year. Uh, so that's going to be horrible. a, a fun a wrinkle. Um, Look, I, I just screwed up in Gano. See? I so did I. So pick. it's even. All it's right. Even. So, Ray, I, Ray, you do have an opportunity. Two UFC main events this weekend if you want to put the money on the line. No you win more money. Come on. You, win, you win 100 or lose 25. Rafael Dos Anjos uh. against Kamaru Usman. Ty Tuivasa against Junior Dos Santos. Those are your UFC main events this weekend. Do you have any selections for our, for our Anakin Florian podcast listeners? No. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. He's keeping the money in the can. The check, I will present you with the check I or the to cash. Pick. I don't want to lose anymore. <laughs> when I see you in Milwaukee, I will be presenting your final 2018 tally. Would you like a check or cash? 
Oh, cash is king. Cash is king. But well, I just want. But I want your wife to know that we that we we gave you a Christmas gift. You know, I don't know if she'll know if I just. You might just. You want to make? You can make it out to her name. Give me a check. (laughs) It's just gonna go to her anyway. That's where it's going anyway. (laughs) Yeah. All right. All right. Love you, buddy. We'll uh, we'll talk to you next Monday. Thank you. All right. Take it easy, guys. Good stuff, Ray. How about Ray Longo not? Wanting to make predictions on this weekend. He wants to keep the money. Headlining he realized he, he was losing the money, uh, and he wants to keep as much as possible. I think it's a smart move. He was on a little <laughs> bit of a – I mean, he, he wasn't getting any of those right. I mean, every every opportunity that you gave him to make some money, he wasn't yeah. capitalizing. No, and then, of course, it, we you know, He's adding retired. insult to injury. We, you know, we gave him these great incentives for Wideman and finishing. Yeah. And he gets a win. You know, I probably jinxed that whole thing. <laughs> but he could have had Kamaru Usman at minus 300. And yeah. essentially, I'm giving him plus 400 on any fighter he wants in both of those fights. And right. very interesting. Almost anybody sane of mine would have taken that bet. But uh, doesn't want the. But action. that's uh, Ray Longo. So UFC featherweight Brian T. City Ortega absolutely loves the fight. Loves the strategy. You know what else he loves? Toyo tires, because like Ortega, Toyo tires are as tough as they come, and they are the official tire of the UFC. You know, there's a lot to love about Toyo tires. Aggressive design, proven on and off-road capabilities. These tires are for any weather, and they've got the toughness to back up that claim. There's just a confidence that comes with tough tires. So no matter what you're driving, no matter where you're driving, you can count on Toyo tires. Of course, they look great as well. They are the choice of so many fighters on this UFC roster. UFC Bantamweight champ TJ Dillashaw, Dominic Cruz. All these guys are driving with Toyo. Tough people love tough tires. Toyo tires have been proven time and time again. So if you're tough, these are the tires for you. Toyo tires. The next time you need tires, ask for Toyo, the official tire of the UFC. Learn more at toyotires.com slash UFC. Toyotires.com slash UFC. So, Kenny, in 1993, November, you would have been 17 years old. Do you remember where you were? Did you watch UFC 1 live or after the fact? I did not. I watched it after the fact. So I probably took a break from UFC 1 in 1993 until like UFC 50 in 2004. I think I saw UFC 1 and 2 and then for whatever reason there was a break. But I did watch UFC 1 live. I was in Newton, Massachusetts at at Dan Sherman's house watching on pay-per-view I think I tried to go to second base with a young woman named Sarah that night. I, I don't know if I succeeded on that, but I was watching UFC 1 live in 1993 when I was like 15 years old. So um, I do remember that. I don't remember a lot of things, but I do remember that. All right, so uh, we were talking about Alistair Overeem when, when Longo so rudely interrupted. I It feels like he put in the right work. Like I'm not trying to read into his physique, but maybe I'm reading into his post-fight interview when he referenced the hard work. And mm. again, this could show at, the, at heavyweight, at this level, 60 pro fights in or whatever he is, you know this can go the other way. You know that right hand from Sergey could have landed a little bit harder, and that could have been the beginning of the end for Alistair Overeem. So mm-hmm. the fact that he hung in there, took a couple shots, granted not right on the bell, but took yeah. a couple shots and then grounded out his opponent like that, I, I think is a huge feather in the cap of Overeem. And not unlike Ngannou, you know, just feel good for a, a good man, a father, I think, of four. And, and this is a big win for Alistair Overeem at this stage of his career. It is. It's a huge win. And because he's such a big name and because um, oh, yeah, he's I mean, climbed at the top of the mountain, he, he could potentially be back there. Yes, he's at the end of his career, but um, you know it, it's possible that he can make another run and, and a few wins in the heavyweight division, which isn't uh, you know, 
certainly not as vast as the 155 pound division, for example, or the welterweights. Um, you know, a few wins and and you're right back in there. Well, not unlike Andre Arlovsky. Right. I mean, he's always going to be a name that they can either, you know, promotionally use to maybe try to vault a guy mm -hmm. that doesn't always work out, of course. But, you know, over you win one fight, you could be in a main event. Right. They yeah. they headline heavyweights all the time. So I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know who it'll be against. But to see Alistair Overeem, his next fight uh, be like an ESPN plus type UFC fight night uh, main event. Lee Jingliang. I love the leech, Ken Flo. You know I love the leech. I mean, I, you know, I'm like screen grabbing his post-fight interview to have a picture of the leech on my phone, right? <laughs> and this was just a, a very big win for him as he gets it done uh, with the body kick against David Zawada. You don't see this, Ken Flo, every day. I mean, no. a, a fight finish with a side kick. I think maybe the heel to the solar plexus. Is that accurate? Mm -hmm. uh, talk us through that, that finish in round three for the leech. He, he timed it beautifully, and whether you're Working a teep or a sidekick, I, I think it is best used to counter the forward motion of your opponent. And he timed it beautifully right down the middle. And that's kind of the one spot where, you know, if you're keeping your hands up where you all are vulnerable. And Zawada, um, you know, is a tough striker in his own right, but ran right into that. And those body shots are just brutal. No matter how much you want to continue fighting, your body just simply just does not right. let you uh, kind of get upright, and it took the wind right out of him, and from there, you get a, a, a true fighter uh, in the leech, and, and he's going to take you out, man. This is a guy who, you know, not everybody has that it's time to get nasty attitude when they yeah, step man. into the octagon, and that dude is a fighter, you know? Huh. That, and we've seen some dirty things from him in the past, but he's just mean, and, and I gotta admit, I kinda like it. I mean, this guy, oh, yeah, he man. wants to go out there, and he's trying to hurt people. He loves to fight. He's not a guy who's out there looking to try to outpoint you or look for a decision. Right. He wants to hurt you from the opening bell to the very end, and um, he's been delivering a lot of uh, exciting fights because of it he actually got dropped or i think maybe got uh dazed at one point his knees buckled was able to get right back into the fight against zawada who was very aggressive yeah. and, and pretty good in his own right on the feet but uh lee jing leung man uh, I, I was impressed and certainly not afraid to get hit right and was moving his head a yeah. whole bunch in this fight and the head movement helped him out at times but you're right he did get cracked early on he was to face elizio zaleski dos santos who i believe is number 14 or number 15 in the world so they're, they're moving the leech in the right direction. I think in Zaleski Dos Santos, he'll have sort of a willing party in terms of trying to just put on a sick fight for the fans, and you mm. can see why they made that matchup. So perhaps that'll be next for the leech. You reference sort of some some dirty moments for the leech, right? And everybody will certainly point to the Jake Matthews fight. I don't yep. know if he was fish hooking from the bottom. Right. My memory's not great, whatever it was. In this fight, Kenny, you also had it at the end of round two, I believe it was, some would say it's dirty. Dan Hardy vehemently on the other side of this debate, but blatantly two or three hooks thrown, at least two and one-third punches, I think, as they put it on the broadcast, thrown by Lee Jingliang after the horn. Yeah. Um, but referees and a lot of fighters are adamant that that horn is not for the fighters. It is for the referees and mm -hmm. that that should result in action from the referee, not necessarily inaction from the fighters. Uh, I don't know if you saw the end of that round, uh, you know, it didn't sit super well with me, but I understand this is sort of so it goes, right? I, I did see that. And also, you know, maybe to defend uh, the leech a little bit, um, it's it can be very hard to hear the bell, uh, not only when you're in the moment and you're throwing a combination 
but also with the crowd and, and the referee and you know the excitement, it, it can be hard to hear that. It, we remember the Aldo fight uh, against Mendez in the rematch in Brazil. Um, you know, there, there was a dispute about that of whether, you know, Aldo was able to hear the, the bell in there. And I think a lot of people um, who were there at the fight actually didn't hear uh, the bell at the end of that round either. So it, it, it can be difficult to hear. But, you know, because of his past uh, history, right, and the thing that right. happened with Jake Matthews, whether it's the eye gouging or, you know, the fish hooking, you know, maybe, maybe, right. maybe he did hear it. That's the thing. Maybe well, he did right. hear so it. it. Yeah. Given the past history, right? It's almost like Dan Hard- Hardy is telling this roster to a man, to a woman, to fight through the horn, not right. to the horn, right? Yeah. And it's almost like, yeah, you know what? If this is the way Mark Goddard and the referees are approaching this, then yeah, fight through the horn, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's like, because I can't tell you how many times, Kenny, at the end of a round, you end up up against the fence, and it's almost like, you know, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, right? Like, get away with as right. many fence grabs until they warn you. They never do so sternly. I don't know. I think that's setting a bad precedent. And, you know, I, I understand. I'm not a fighter, right? So I can't relate to uh, hearing that horn in combat. But I will tell you, that horn sounded sure as fuck like the loudest thing in that <laughs> yeah. arena by a I- mile when they blew it on Saturday night. I so. agree. I agree. I saw it a few times and, uh, yeah, I, I looked at my buddy who was oh, I was watching uh-huh. it with, and I was like, "Oh yeah, duh. it seems like Fucking the leech, is, horn, the leech right? is back at it again." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and because I, I, he landed those first two shots in the combination, he's like, "You know what? Fuck it, let me yeah, throw another yeah. couple more." Yeah. Well, he's trying to light up the crowd, and I, you know, I, I love so much of it. There's no malice with this guy. You know, he's right. he's one of the nicest guys he's on the roster. He's a fighter, though, man. Yes, exactly. Yeah, he is. And he's fighting yeah. through that horn. And if you're a fighter listening to this, man, you know, <laughs> I'd fight through that horn, man. Yeah. I don't care how loud it is or how quiet the arena is. Yeah. Keep punching. If it's the referee's job, he's and that's what jump they're in telling there. you, uh, he better jump in there because you're yeah. a fighter and you're fucking throwing hooks after the horn, whether they like it or not. Um. <laughs> All right, so we're, we have a lot of picks to make today, but a few other things to, to get to is we sort of empty out the MMA news desk here. Israel Adesanya, the last style bender, is going to fight Anderson Silva, UFC 234, second weekend in February on pay-per-view. Silva's last win, of course, Derek Brunson in 2017, serving USADA suspension since. That was a fight that arguably could have gone the other way, and that was his first win since 2012. Adesanya, of course, on a roll in the UFC going in the completely opposite direction. I think in some part, Kenny, this is a backup plan in case Robert Whitaker or Kelvin Gastelum is unable to make the walk or unable to make weight. I think they would absolutely slide Adesanya in, and if needed, maybe for an interim championship against Gastelum or for the undisputed title against Whitaker. I absolutely believe they would do that. But a lot of opinion, Kenny, on both sides of this Adesanya-Silva matchup being made. It's hard not to have some excitement. I can understand why others are are questioning the promotion's decision to go in this direction. Oh, first of all, in regards to uh, someone slipping into the main event in case one of those guys gets injured, I think it's a fight that makes a lot of sense. And you're seeing the UFC do this more and more for these important fights, at least have a good backup plan. Uh, Yeah, I I agree. It's something you uh, got to do. Um, Now, as far as the Adesanya and Anderson Silva fight, it's interesting, and again, it all comes down to your perspective. Anderson Silva is now, what, 40? 43. Oh, my gosh, he's older than me? Ha! Huh. I didn't I'm know that. I'm going to look that up, but I thought it was 43. Is I'll look he that really? up while you're uh, okay, so while, I, while you're yapping. Uh, whoops. All right. All right, he's 43. Okay, well, listen, obviously, uh, at the end of his career, he is, you know, 
he was Adesanya before Adesanya was probably fighting MMA at that point. Um, so we we do have this true new school versus old school uh, fight. The former champ at 185 pounds and obviously a terrific um, platform for Adesanya to show just how good he is. Now, uh, Anderson Silva certainly isn't the same guy. I, I think he still loves to fight, uh, still is motivated to go out there and perform and put on good fights and, and make some good money in the UFC. Um, but, you know, if you're looking at it, um, from the outside in and just seeing this trend um, of what promotions do both in boxing and in mixed martial arts, this is that big kind of platform from Ad- for Adesanya to go, look how good I am. Look how uh, much I've surpassed former champions like Anderson Silva. Um, Anderson Silva was good, but I'm even better. I've taken what he has done and taken it to the next level. So it really is an, an unbelievable opportunity for Adesanya uh, to showcase his skills against one of the greatest to ever compete inside the octagon. Um, and I, I think it's an, it's an exciting fight uh, just from that standpoint. If Anderson Silva is able to go and just kind of let his hands fly and let his strikes uh, do what they do. I, I think he could potentially surprise people as well. He doesn't have to worry about a takedown. He doesn't have to worry about a ground game. Uh, and who knows, maybe Anderson Silva's the guy who actually tries to take this fight to the ground uh, because he would have the advantage there as the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. So um, I'm intrigued with this fight. There's no doubt about it. This is a very interesting fight. Anderson Silva, April 14th, 1975. So he yeah. is 43 years old. I'm going to read another tweet here from Jordan Breen, at Jordan Breen on Twitter. Silva Adesanya will do next to nothing to make the younger fighter a better mixed martial artist. This is a play to build Israel's name, not prepare him for what comes next, which should be the priority. Also, if Israel does his thing, that means an all-time great got used. Um, You know, I think that's one argument here, right, is that in a perfect world, people would like to see Adesanya against Paulo Costa, right, a, a young contender who's in the top five who would be much more logical if there was a bracket, but we just don't have a bracket, and ultimately this is a business in some respects, and the UFC has to do what they think is ba- best. I think the matchup has more merit, obviously, than people like Jordan Breen do. I really do. You know, I don't know what the betting line is going to be. If Adesanya ends up a minus 750 favorite, you know, then I would have been way off base. But I think it'll be closer than that. Um, If the fight won't be closer than that, I don't know how close the fight's going to be. But I just feel like some of the negativity that's out there when there's a matchup like this that gets announced, I think it seems to me like a lot of MMA fans who are complaining should be a little bit conditioned to this. And I don't know that it's any huge statement about where the UFC is in 2018 versus where they were in 2014. Um, you know, I think they see enough merit in this matchup, um, to strategically make it. And I I don't think it comes down to much more than that. I I agree. And, And listen, um, you know, I, I don't know this is the case, but how do we not know that Anderson Silva was the guy who actually asked for this fight? Right. Uh, you know, Anderson Silva has a, a tremendous belief in himself, uh, maybe to a fault, perhaps. I think the very thing that makes someone a fighter is the very thing that uh, keeps him in the game probably a little bit too long, um, as we saw this weekend as well with, with Tito and, and, and Chuck Liddell. But, um, you know, I, I think that uh, for this fight, it, it's something that is always going to happen in combat sports. And um, the fighters involved always have the right to say, you know what, and the management, 
this is a fight that doesn't make sense for us. Obviously, both parties uh, agreed at the end of the day. Um, it's something we've been seeing in, in combat sports for a very long time. Um, two guys who are interesting strikers. Of course, Anderson Silva was, uh, you know, one of the best strikers we had ever seen, and, and Israel Adesanya trying to be the best and take it to another level. So uh, it's it's an interesting fight because of it. And an interesting layer for me is that Adesanya, not that he's preparing for three opponents, and if you know anything about Adesanya, he's not really worried about the opponent, but I think he's got to prepare for a five-round championship fight uh, on February 9th or 10th, right? Because you mm -hmm. just don't know what's going to happen with any of those three guys. And for Adesanya, obviously, it's going to be a huge fight regardless. And mm -hmm. if he beats Anderson Silva, big one's coming next. Might even fight for the UFC middleweight title. All right, we're going to spin it forward here to uh, to the two UFC live events this weekend. Before we do, though, Ken Flo, uh, Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz fought for a third time over the weekend Chuck Liddell is going to be 49 years old in three weeks. This was an itch that he wanted to scratch. Um, did you entertain ordering this on pay-per-view? Did you pluck down your hard-earned $39.99? To what extent was uh, Liddell Ortiz 3 on your radar Thanksgiving weekend, my man? Um, it was on my radar. Did I watch it? No. Uh, was I thinking about paying for it? No. Um, <laughs> I, I think we kind of, you know, and listen, I, I love Chuck. I absolutely love the guy. The guy is one of the best best fighters to ever compete inside the octagon one of the nicest uh, gentlemen you'll ever meet and um this was a fight where going into this i said this is the one time where tito ortiz could actually beat chuck liddell and and um you know we all age differently we all um you know have our peaks at different times in our life and uh you know this was one that i was a little bit concerned with uh, for chuck and tito and you know my perspective on it is that I want to give people the best of me. I, I want people to see me compete at my best. And I, I don't even care necessarily about that. I want to see myself compete at my best uh, when I'm at my physical peak. Um, and I always said if my body wasn't going to be 100%, I, I wasn't going to do it. it. It's just not worth it. I want to see what I'm capable of. And at 49 right. years old, 48 years old, um, getting close to the 50s, I, I don't know if we really wanted to see that. I didn't. Um, and, yeah. you know, I, I think we have to also give big-time kudos to Dana White for, you know, putting his foot down going, you know what, can I make a lot of money on this fight? Absolutely. Am I going to do this? No. It, it, it's right. just not a fight that I'm interested in watching. And and, um, and kudos to him for, for not making this fight. And I think it was – yeah, yeah. I mean, wh when do we stop? You know, are we watching guys fight at fifty? You know, are we watching, you know, the best guys in history fight like ten, twenty years after their prime? I mean, it's just not right. the same thing. Right. It's not the right. same thing. No, I agree. And, I, you know, in basketball, right, like Ice Cube has this three-on-three -three league, right? And a lot of those guys, it's a totally different animal, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, you know, mixed martial arts, it, you know, you can't really change the sport and the inherent danger in it, um, you know. So there's a lot. I mean, I, you know, I'll be honest with you. I almost ordered this fucking thing, though. Because maybe it's just the sports better in me, right? Because yeah. I'm looking at that under a round and a half, right? Mm -hmm. Over, under, one and a half rounds, under one and a half rounds, minus 150. I'm contractually prevented from betting on mixed martial arts in any capacity, and that's why I did not bet under one and a half rounds. A lot of people were saying it's a sucker bet. I just didn't see any way that that fight was going into an eighth minute one way or the other. Um, Tito was about a three-to-one favorite, but uh, at under one and a half rounds cash. Chaz Skelly, by the way, UFC featherweight cashing a ticket on that under one and a half rounds. All right, we got to get to some picks 
enough rambling. Let's get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. Anik. The time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. See, there's a prime Ken flow with the voice like three octaves higher. You know, I was noticing singing <laughs> in the Mouse car. Mickey Mouse over there. I was singing in the car with my kids. I can't hit notes in songs that I used to be you, able to you, hit. You can't go into the falsetto, kid? No, I no? mean, there are notes that legit, I mean, I really strain now to hit that I used to be able to just fucking crush, you know? <laughs> the kids I are laughing at you. Dad, terrible. what are you doing? Yeah. Oh, well, they're just like, Dad, shut up. Like it, <laughs> Now they're just like, Dad, can you please stop singing? In three years, they're going to be like, Dad, shut the fuck up, man. You know? <laughs> Um, You're but embarrassing. I, I, I think it's EA Sports UFC 3 is to blame. Yeah. Forever damaged my voice, voice in that <laughs> video game. All right, so uh, Team Anik led it 134 to 122 going into UFC Fight Night Blades versus Nganu 2. Not a great week for our guest picker, Eric. Not a great week for the flow, but Team Florian no. wins its second straight week. 2 to 1 the final. 135 to 124 with two UFC live events coming up this weekend. And with us to make picks today, making his return. You know him from oddshark.com, now with hotspawnesports.com. Justin Hartling is with us. Justin, appreciate your time today, sir. How are you, man? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. And, uh, of course, I'm here to uh, reclaim my victory over Florida in UFC 220 back in the day. Thought Burgos could pull it out, but uh, ah. he was wrong on that one, and I'm here to defend yet again. <laughs> well, it, it's it's good to have you back, and I know you're in the esports world now, and maybe on a day when we have more time, I'll ask you about all that noise because talk about ignorant. I'm first in line when it comes to esports, but we got some picks to make. Let's start with the Friday Nighter Tough 28 finale in Las Vegas. Two picks out of you guys on this card. First up, good fight at Bantamweight. Pedro Munoz minus 280. Old friend Brian Caraway comes back at plus 200. Munoz has won five of his last six. Big win over Brett Johns at UFC 227 in August. He takes on Brian Caraway, idle since a March loss to Cody Stamen by split decision. Justin, Munoz and Caraway, who do you like? Yeah, I'm going to have to take the chalk. I'm going with Munoz on this one. Um, it's a little harder than you would think just looking at that line, but one of the big things that I kind of saw watching the last few fights is a. Uh, Stamen really started to chew up Caraway in that third round of their fight with the leg kicks. And that's something that Munoz loves to do. He loves to take out the, uh, the legs of his opponent. And Caraway, obviously, he likes to pressure himself. He likes to move forward a bit. So that leaves those lead legs open. Uh, and if Munoz can just kind of continue to chip away at Caraway early, then that plays in obviously well to him later. Munoz does scare me because at times he looks like a punching bag. Uh, his defense could use some work. But at the end of the day, I don't think Caraway necessarily has the power to make him pay for that. So I, I say the play in this one is Munoz. Yeah, some, some good analysis there. Munoz, he does love his striking, Kenny. He really does. He feels like he is sparring favorably with professional boxers as, as a mixed martial artist. Sort of an underappreciated resume, 16-3. and three, The only pro losses all on the scorecards. Rafael Asuncao splits to Jimmy Rivera and John Dodson. Um, Brian Caraway, also a hard guy to put away. We know Munoz has never been finished. Your thoughts on Caraway and Munoz coming up this weekend? Yeah, I think Justin did a nice breakdown there. Um, you know, for Pedro Munoz, um, 
Listen, I agree. He does get hit a little bit uh, too often for my liking. Um, defensively has some work to do, but he is improving offensively. Offensively, he's got some nice weapons, and I do think he has the advantage on the feet against Caraway, um, who really doesn't kick much, um, you know, kind of throws wide uh, looping punches, um, you know, he, he hits decently hard, but I don't think he's going to be the threat that Munoz has to worry about on the feet. Um, where Caraway does have the advantage, though, is probably with his wrestling. I think that might cancel, uh, you know, the, the jiu-jitsu and wrestling skills of, of Munoz out of the equation. I don't know if we're going to see these guys hit the mat. I have trained with both these guys on the ground. Um, Munoz, uh, very talented. Caraway as well. Um, I think Caraway might be a little bit tougher from the top position. Uh, Munoz is going to be good both on the bottom and top. So I'm interested to see if this fight does go to the ground. I don't think it does. I think because of that, Munoz will have the advantage on the feet and will win this one. Yeah, I'm not sure Caraway's got enough pop on the feet. You know, he, yeah. he likes to lead with that left hook and failed takedowns, a lot of uppercuts from Caraway, and, and Munoz's chin might be there. I'm just not sure he'll be able to crack it hard enough to, mm -hmm. to get Pedro out of there. But a good fight nonetheless, and, and part of the main card coming up Friday night. The main event from the Pearl at Palms Casino Resort, Kamaru Usman versus Rafael Dos Anjos. Huge fight here at welterweight. Usman, 8-0 in the UFC. As such, the prohibitive favorite here, minus 305. Dos Anjos coming back at plus 225. Justin, this will be the first time in Usman's UFC career that he will have fought three times in a calendar year. Dos Anjos back off the loss to Colby, to Colby, to Colby, Colby Covington this summer. That was for the UFC's welterweight title. With the round and the method of victory, Justin, who do you like in the main event? Yeah, there's no sense in getting pretty with this one. It's got to be Usman. Uh, I'm going to take it by decision because RDA is a tough out. But you look at Dos Anjos' last fight, and you can see that Covington broke him down. And that's basically the same kind of game plan Usman's going to come into this fight with. If he's going to look to pressure him, he's going to look to get RDA against the cage, get him to the mat, and just kind of grind him into a flying dust. And you saw it again in that last fight with RDA and Covington. That the size advantage really did start to play up. It wasn't earlier in RDA's fight when he moved up. But when he faced a bigger wrestler who could really get his hands on him, really muscle him to the ground, it caused him a lot of issues. And I think that, you know, Usman might be the best at doing that right now outside of Khabib. Um, so I don't see this playing out much differently. So I'm going to take Usman by decision. Um, and, you know, uh, we're going to obviously talk about his grappling a lot, but his striking is coming a long way and he, he started to grow in that. But uh, his, his definitely his method of victory in this one is to grapple, bring it to the ground, and I see him doing that pretty much at will for five rounds. Ken Flo, Kamaru Usman, minus 305. Rafael Dos Anjos, plus 225. Your thoughts on a big main event coming up Friday evening? While I do like um, Dos Anjos at 170 pounds, I, I don't love this matchup here against Kamaru Usman, who really is a true welterweight. He's got the reach. He's got uh, the height advantage. Um, and, and I think we will truly see a big difference once these guys uh, get face-to-face -face in the octagon. I think Usman is going to be able to utilize um, that size advantage repeatedly throughout that fight. Now, 
Um, Dos Anjos has struggled um, with wrestlers, high-pressure guys uh, in the past. We can go all the way back to Clay Guido. We can go to Habib Nurmagomedov, and we can go to his last fight against Colby Covington. Um, this is another southpaw who could smother you, take you out of the game. I think for Dos Anjos to be effective, he needs space in order to move, and he does best when he's chasing you down, when he's backing you up, when he's the grinder. Um, and Usman, um, just with his size and wrestling skill, is going to be a handful for Dos Anjos. Uh, I like Usman uh, in this uh, by decision here against RDA. All right, that brings us to UFC Fight Night, Dos Santos v. Tuivasa. Good card, by the way, on FS1, Adelaide, Australia, Saturday night in the U.S., Sunday morning in Adelaide. Featured bout in the heavyweight division, the lead horse, Mark Hunt, taking on Justin Willis. Pick'em fight right now, according to Las Vegas, minus 115 or so on both sides. Justin, Mark Hunt, Justin Willis, who do you like? Yeah, this is probably the one that I've gone back and forth the most on because I could, I could see a path to victory for either one of these guys. Willis uh, gets out really fast. He's, he's a lot more athletic than you would assume when you look at him. Uh, he, he has quick strikes. He has a bit of a gas tank, not the best in the world, but we saw that he can go a, a pretty hard round or two uh, in his last few fights. But at the end of the day, I think the difference is, is just Hunt his ability to counter-strike is going to be, I think, the big thing in this. Because Willis, great fighter. I think he's got a lot of potential in the division, especially being as shallow as it is. Um, but Hunt is so good at waiting for that perfect time to land that big uppercut or that big cross. And Willis is at his best when he's pushing forward, and he can work behind his fast hands and fast feet. So eventually, that's going to leave him open to getting that one big shot from Hunt that will put Willis down. So I expect Hunt to win this one, but I can see a path to victory for both. Ken Flo, Mark Hunt coming off a loss to Alexei Olenek. Last win, a knockout of Derek Lewis. That was June of 2017. So Hunt's lost three of four. He's back to 500, 13, 13, and one. Yep. Willis 3-0 and in the UFC. Last win in April against Chase Sherman. What do you think here in a pick fight? Um, as Justin mentioned, I, I do see both guys, uh, you know, they could definitely win this fight. Hunt, obviously, on the feet with his knockout power. Justin Willis, um, I could see him outpointing him or maybe grounding out uh, Mark Hunt in this fight. I, I do think he's got to utilize his strikes to mix in uh, his wrestling game, try to put Hunt on his back. I, I think that's going to be the easiest path to victory, of course. Um, Hunt is a guy that is going to be dangerous. The last thing that goes in your game uh, is your power. And, and Hunt, guess what? The guy still has his speed, I think. So um, this is a tough one to call. Um, I do need points, though. So I'm going to go with Willis. I'm going to go the opposite way. Um, I, I think Willis uh, wins this one by decision. Right. I mean, it's like I almost got to figure out a scoring system, right? It's like I might as well just give you Dos Anjos, Kenny, right? right. Just for the sake of it, because mathematically, yeah. maybe you'd be doing that at yes. this point in time. All right. Co-main event. This one's interesting. Tyson Pedro, minus 400 against Shogun Hua, the former champion, a plus 300 underdog. Tyson Pedro gets a lot of respect from Las Vegas. In our scoring system, you get an extra three points if Shogun Hua wins the fight and you pick him. Uh, so four in total for the Shogun upset. But Pedro has lost two of three on paper, Justin, most recently submitted by Ovin St. Preux. What do you think about Tyson Pedro? Um, not just him in this spot at home in what a lot of people think is a favorable matchup against a fading Shogun, but seems to me to be a fighter that has Vegas' respect at the very least. 
Yeah, and I, I think the thing is, is obviously when you look at Pedro, is he's so young and athletic, and he has so many pieces and so much potential when you look at him. Um, and the UFC obviously is behind him. They're giving him plenty of chances to showcase his ability. So it makes sense. And obviously when Vegas is setting a line, they're trying to find that sweet spot where they're going to get action on both sides. So it looks like that's going to be Pedro as, as the big favorite. And I think that that's because a lot of people see Shogun as kind of, you know, over the hill at this point. Um, it, it's been interesting to see Shogun's evolution over the last few years, or really th- throughout his entire career. And at this point, he's become this really... Uh, this pressure-based counter-striker almost where he wants to move forward. It isn't always the most pretty, but his, so much, he has so much experience that he just has this innate feel for fighting and when to do the right thing. So he's definitely not out of this fight. However, I look at Pedro, who is big and athletic and will probably make Shogun look small in there when they're standing side-by-side. Uh, so that that's probably going to be the big thing. And we saw, I, I worry about Shogun, because in his last fight against Anthony Smith, we saw that it, maybe he's going to struggle against those longer, more athletic, younger fighters at this point in his career. That's not to take anything away from him, but he's got a lot of wear on the tires. Uh, and I don't think he's the, I don't think he has that one hit or quitter power in him to knock out Pedro anymore. So I'm going to go with Pedro in this one. I think Vegas has the line right. I think that this is a matchup that's probably tailored for him to uh, get some more eyeballs and hopefully build his brand. Good analysis as usual. Justin Hartling, Ken Flo, Tyson Pedro, Shogun, who are your thoughts? You know, I think Tyson Pedro is definitely a favorite. Um, but it's not like Shogun Hua can't win this fight. Uh, I don't think he's a, a minus 400 type favorite here against Hua. But... I do think uh, he will win this fight here. I, I think that, you know, his age, um, the fact that he's gonna, just going to be fresher, he's going to be fighting, um, you know, with the crowd behind him. I, I don't know, man. I, 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 I do worry about Mauricio Shogunhua as well. He's um, not only losing a lot uh, in his last, you know, look, his probably last 10 fights or so, um, but he's losing with some bad results in a bad way, getting knocked out cold, all that stuff. So um, I-, I think this is a good matchup for Tyson Pedro, and I, I see him winning this one. All right, a couple plays there on Tyson Pedro. Main event now in Adelaide, Australia. This was really the prediction that I, that I was most excited to get from you boys today. Uh, five rounds, if needed, heavyweight division, Former champ and really one of my favorite people in all of MMA, Junior Dos Santos, slight favorite here, minus 145 against the plus 115 underdog, Ty Vasa. Justin, need the round and the method of victory here as well as this is the main event. Who do you like, Vasa or Junior Dos Santos? After a lot of back and forth, I think ultimately I've decided to go with uh, Bam Bam in the second round wow. by knockout. Because one of the big things with this fight is going to be who takes the center of that octagon first. That is really going to dictate who wins. Because JDS wants to be in boxing range. He wants to flick in with his jab, kind of protect himself, keep his opponent at range. But when you look at JDS's last two losses, both by knockout, they both happened in similar fashions. He was backing up and it came on the counter. So that plays into Ty's hand in this one because Tui Vasa wants to go forward. He wants to be pressing the action. So we've seen in those last couple of fights from JDS that he lost 
that he got knocked out in, you see it happens when he's going backwards because his hands start floating out. They start really reaching a lot, and that leaves him open to a big counter-strike. We saw it against Stipe, and we saw it against Overeem. So I think at the end of the day, Tui Vass is going to come out aggressive. We saw that he can eat shots. We saw that in his last fight because Arlovsky hit him quite a bit. Did he win that fight? I'm not sure. That's not for me to decide. But we, sh- we saw that he has heart to take those punches, and he can keep moving forward even after that. So I do believe that Tui Vass is just going to keep going forward. He's just going to basically zombie this fight until JDS makes that mistake. Canflo, Tui Vasa undefeated, 8-0, 3-0 in the UFC. Last win came against Andre Arlovsky, I think by decision. So JDS has alternated wins and losses dating to 2012, his yep. last nine. Last fight, beat Blagoy Ivanov, 25 minutes in a main event in Boise, Idaho. That was July 2018. Slight favorite here is Dos Santos against Tui Vasa, Ken Flo. Who do you like in the main event? Well, listen, if we're just going on consistency, obviously, Tai uh, Tui Vasa um, has way more momentum. Um, I, I just don't think he has... Um, again, you look at his last fight against Arlovsky, I, I was not impressed. I think that's a guy that you have to be able to stop and win um, if you're going to be something in the division. And, and obviously, you know, um, he could have had an injury heading into that one or whatever it was. Uh, things happen. But um, I expected more out of Tuivasa. I, I think he got very sloppy in that fight. Now, Junior DeSantis' last fight against Ivanov wasn't great either. Um, but I do think it was because of Ivanov's um, uh, hesitancy to, to get in the pocket against Dos Santos. So it was tough for him to really uh, land, of, land a lot of meaningful shots either way. Um, this is a really tough one to call. Um, I need points. I'm going to go the Junior Dos Santos right, route. Um, I think he is vulnerable to a counter shot. He throws that right hand and throws himself off balance when he throws that overhand right. Um, he's got to be careful doing that against Ty Tuivasa. I don't know if Tuivasa is going to be able to move forward as much as he likes uh, against a guy who is going to be taller and with a longer reach. So I think JDS gets it done. All right, you got a method of victory for me, kid? Uh, yeah, let's go, uh, let's go TKO round two. TKO round two for Junior Dos Santos. And because Ken Flo's trailing on the scorecards, Justin, just need a quick pick for the record. And I like this fight. Jake Matthews, minus 140 against fellow welterweight hopeful Anthony Rocco Martin, who is plus 120. That's Tony Martin out there, but he wants Anthony Rocco Martin now, if you're a little bit confused. Who do you like there, uh, Justin, Matthews or Martin? Well, I'll just be a nice guy and give Florian a little bit of a chance to catch up. So I'll take Matthews as the favorite. <laughs> Matthews is the favorite. Ken Flo, you want Tony Martin in that exchange or what? I do not. I'm going with uh, <laughs> I'm going with Matthews. I think he takes it. All right, Justin Hartling on Twitter. He is exactly that, at Justin Hartling. Uh, great job today, man. Appreciate you stepping up. We'll talk to you soon. Of course. Thanks for having me. All right, big weekend for the UFC. Friday night, Saturday night. I always ask for Sunday off from parenting because of the National Football League. So, <laughs> I don't know how we're going to do this this weekend, but I think we'll find a way. I hope everybody enjoys the shows. If you are in the greater Los Angeles area and you like to roll, may Rocky BJJ, may Rocky BJJ.com. You know, Jason Hunt gets a lot of love at may Rocky BJJ.com. I mean, when I go to that homepage, you know, tell Jason, I'd like to see Kenny Florian. You know, I scroll down. Eventually you're there. But, you know, got Jason Hunt in my face every time I go to the website. 11677 Santa Monica Boulevard. Los Angeles, California. All right, with that for Ken Flo, I'm John Anik. Thanks to all of our producers. 
Thank you all for listening. We will talk to you in a few days. Until then, yo later. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and wagering week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.